You know, throughout your lifetime, you're going to have to make a lot of decisions. You really are. It's just how life works. It's not going to be like one or two you're going to have to make in the course of your life. You're going to come to the crossroads of decision-making again and again. I would suspect that there are many of you that are seated right here, right now, in the next 30, 60 days, you're going to have to make some pretty important decisions. Some of it may be in regards to your health. It may be a relationship. It may be in something pertaining to money or to your future. Um, But you're going to have to make a decision about some area, your health maybe. Others of you, you don't even realize yet that you're going to have to make a decision. Now, the reason I mention that is the Bible addresses this, and the Bible speaks to us about giving us the capacity to be able to make wise decisions. See, in this series about James, we're talking about how to have a better life. And the way you have a better life is you make better decisions. And that's, you know, what we're going to be talking through a little bit here today. How do we gain wisdom? How do we process it? Where do we get it from? And how that it becomes so important anytime we're going to have to make decisions. How many of you, you already know, some of you don't know you're going to have to make decisions in the near future, but how many of you, you already know, let's say in the next 30 days or 60 days or so, you've got to make some kind of rather major decision. Could I just see your hand right now? Let me just see your hand. Several of you. And Uh, I'm not surprised by that. That many hands would be raised. And again, we're going to be there again and again. And you know what I've noticed, and it it concerns me quite honestly, that otherwise serious-minded followers of Jesus who invoke God's help in so many other areas of their life, a lot of times when it comes to decision-making, it's like they're listening to everybody else but God. It's like they've got to make a decision. They say, well, you know what? I've got some good life experience And so I'm just, you know, my life experience dictates and sort of sets me up that I can make a decision here. And and so I'm going to use my life experience or I have sort of this intuitive knowledge of what I need to do. Or, you know, I've got these well-meaning friends. And some people, again, even serious-minded Christians, I've seen this so many times, have said, well, you know, uh, I'm making my decision based on what I heard this talk show host talking about or the guest on the talk show. And, you know, I really didn't know. And and that's where I'm getting a lot of my input and decision-making. And friends, I'm just telling you, the Bible addresses that you and I can get wisdom from God and how that God actually wants to give us wisdom generously. And there's enough information in the Bible, although I'm not going to be talking about the Bible specifically, I do want to mention this right up front so that it is clear. I've talked to you about this many, many times before, that the reality is you and I need to be in the Bible every single day of our life. And a lot of times people will give this notion of thought, well, you know, uh, I'm not a morning person, so if I don't read the Bible, I know that you read the Bible in the morning. And if I don't read it in the morning, then, you know, I'm just sort of not going to read it. And, And I'm just saying to you, if you're not a morning person, then I would recommend you not read the Bible in the morning. Because you probably, if you're not a morning person and you get up like really, really early in order to just read the Bible, you're probably going to become agitated that you're having to get up early to read the Bible. And so I would just say if you're a morning person, then great, read the Bible in the morning. If you're a night person, read the Bible at night. But you need to be putting the wisdom of God that is found in in His Word into your life. It has been said, and I tend to agree, that 90% of the information that we need to make wise decisions is found in the Bible. Think about that. People a lot smarter, a lot brighter than I have said 90% of the information that we need to make decisions is found in the Bible. 
And so I just encourage you. You've got to be in the Bible. You've got to be reading. You've got to allow God to speak to you. And what you may not know is that the more you're into the Word, even when you're not aware of it, it's become so engrafted into your life that down the road you're making decisions and you may not even understand at a conscious level that you are making decisions that has its basis in the Word of God that you have been reading in the past. And that's how you get a better life. You get a better life by making better decisions. And the Bible talks about that. I'm very excited about the talk today. We're going right back into James. It's a very important series. Let me just go ahead and say, because I may forget at the end of this talk, you do not want to miss next week. I've already invested a lot of hours already into the talk for next week. It is so important. It's a passage I've read hundreds of times, probably, but I've never taught until next Sunday. And so I want you to be sure that you're here next week. Today, we're going to go to James, back into James chapter 1, and this time we're going to pick up at verse 5. So I want you to take a look at this with me. And then we're going to unpack it together for the next few moments. All right, James chapter 1. Let's pick up at verse 5. If any of you lacks, what's the word here? Everybody say it. Wisdom. He should ask who? Who do you ask? Ask God. If you lack wisdom, here's who you need to be asking for wisdom. You need to ask God. And how does God give out his wisdom? Read it. Generously. God is going to give out his wisdom to us generously to all without finding fault, it will be given to him. In other words, God's not going to play favorites. He's not going to give wisdom to some and others. He's not prejudiced in who he's going to give wisdom. He doesn't have biased opinions. Anybody that is willing, seriously, concretely to ask God to give them wisdom, God wants to give it. And again, you've got to understand, James is the brother of Jesus. So he's like really dialed in to the heart of God and the heart of Jesus. And he's saying, if a person lacks wisdom, ask God. God wants to give it generously. Look at verse 6. Very important. But when he asks, he must believe and not doubt, because he who doubts is like a wave of the sea blown and tossed by the wind. That person, that man, that woman should not think he will receive anything from the Lord. None. Don't ask for wisdom. Don't ask for anything. If you're going to ask God for something and you're doubting about it, better not even to ask. When you ask for wisdom, this is what James is saying, You've got to know the heart of God so keenly that you know that God wants to give you wisdom. You don't have to beg. You don't have to plead. You don't have to earn it. God graciously and generously wants to give you wisdom. So you ask God for it. And then verse 8, don't be a double-minded man who is unstable in all that he does. So the reality is here today that all of us need wisdom. Nobody, Nobody is immune to that. Uh, you saw, if you were seated near somebody, there were a lot of hands. There were a lot of hands. I asked that same question in the 930 services. A lot of hands went up then because a lot of us are always in the process of having to make decisions. Some more of a minor nature, some that are major, like life-altering, life-changing decisions. And we need the wisdom of God. All of us need the wisdom of God. And how do we get it? James said, we go to where we ought to. The most reliable source, you got to understand this, the best possible source, if we're looking for quality, reliable, desperately needed input, James says, you go to God because God has all wisdom. In fact, this verse is not on the screen, but it's out of the Old Testament book of Job. And this is what it says, but true wisdom and power are found in God. Listen to that. True wisdom, true power is found in God. Counsel and understanding are his. So 
you know, again, it's just amazing to me. I know that we're all going to be making decisions from time to time. You have not come to the last crossroads of your life where you've got to make a decision. You're going to be there again and again and again. And it's just amazing to me how often people who know and love and serve Jesus just make whimsical decisions. Who just like, you know, don't seek the counsel of God. Listen more to a friend than they do to God. Listen more to a talk show host than they do to all into Scripture. Uh, you know, it just, it just amazes me, but, I, you know, it should not because I've done the same myself. When I'm like, I've got to make a decision. Am I really dialed in to the wisdom of God in this decision? And some of you, you know, to be quite honest, you may be thinking, well, you know, Jeff, I know that this is, you know, a, a message that I can check out on because I've got a lot of experience and I'm a pretty intellectual man or woman. And, you know, this is really not for me. Maybe it's for some other people here. Well, I've got a verse for you, and here it is, Proverbs 3, 7. Look at it on the screen. Never let yourself think that you're wiser than you are because you don't realize how much you need wisdom. It says, simply obey the Lord and refuse to do wrong. So all of us here, you've got to understand, even if you don't feel like you need it right now, I promise you, you need the wisdom of God. You're going to need it. You're going to need it in the next few days. You're going to need it next year. You're going to need it the rest of your life, the wisdom of God. And James says, if we lack it, which all of us do, then we need to ask God for it. And when we ask, we should do so with a sense of expectancy. You heard me mention that. We should do so because God wants to give it to us generally, uh, generously. In, in fact, you saw what James said. You saw it on the screen a moment ago. When you ask, you've got to believe. Don't doubt. You just got to believe that when you ask for it, that God has given to, He's going to give it to you. In fact, He said, a double-minded man shouldn't expect to receive wisdom or anything else from God. So, what is the implication here? And this is very important. Very important. That's why I'm asking you for the next 27, 28 minutes to be totally dialed in to what what is going to be said. Because even if you don't feel like it's going to impact your life right now, I promise you, what you're going to hear is going to impact your life in the near future. And you need to be dialed in, so don't be checked. As much as you love your job, just set your job aside for a few moments and just think about what's going to happen here in the next few moments. Don't be working on your shopping list. Don't be saying, well, you know, i got to think about, you know, where I'm going to launch as soon as this service is over because this is so important, what we're talking about. It could affect the trajectory of your life. It really could. So what is the implication here when we read the first few verses of James 1? It is this, that our lack of wisdom, when it says that God wants to give it to us and he wants to give it to us generally, generously, our lack of wisdom, you need to catch this, is not the result of God's reluctance to give it to us. It is our own hesitation to ask. If you just say, I need the wisdom of God, then James would say, the brother of Jesus, if you're saying you need the wisdom of God, you've got to make some decisions. You don't want to make them on a whim. You don't want to just be so impressionable that you just go, you know, you're like a tide tossed to him, like a wave, you know, double-minded. You want to know that when you make decisions you're doing with the wisdom of God and the counsel of God, then James would just say, you like it, and everybody does, ask God for it. God wants to give it to you. God loves the thought. God loves the idea of giving to you something that you need. You don't have to beg him. You don't have to plead. He's not reluctant. The only reason you don't have the wisdom that you have to make the decisions that you need to make is because you simply have not asked God to give it to you. And if you will ask him, he will give it to you, and he'll give it to you in a generous portion. And I can understand this. I mean, not from God's side, but from a grandparent's side. 
Recently, our daughter-in-law, Nicole, she knew that I was going when I left the office, was going by the store. She knew that, and they were going to be at our house. And so she had texted me, and I could tell even by the tone, she was almost reluctant to ask. And, uh, but she asked, knowing I was going to the store, she texted me, and it said, hey, while you're going to the store, do you mind while you're there? Will you pick up? Uh, because a lot of times when the, you know, they're over at the house and the grandbabies are there and they're, they're late, they'll go ahead and bathe the girls at the house so that when they take them home, they can put them right to bed. And so she said, hey, at your house, there's, you know, you're out of the little baby shampoo and soap and lotion and all. Do you mind picking some up? And I'm like, you know, I touched back her. You know, I wanted, I wanted to just say, are you kidding? Really? I mean, I'd love to do that. I'm honored to do that. In, in fact, uh, where my second office is, I thought of, uh, of what a phrase is around my second office. I wanted to say, it would be my pleasure, my pleasure to pick up some, you know, soap and lotion, all those kind of things. In, in fact, later on, uh, I know that they're trying to get Kenley away from some candy, and Paul has been a culprit in that. If I pick her up from school a little bit earlier because she goes to VCA and bring her over to my office, she knows as soon as she walks into my office, there's a particular drawer that is designated for her, and she'll open it up, and she knows she's got some M&Ms in there. But they're trying to wean her from, you know, more sweets, and I understand that. So I texted Nicole later, and I said, all right, you know, I want to have some healthy snacks in my office. What would be some healthy snacks she could have. And so she texted me back and she said, well, she loves apples and she loves grapes. And I I thought that's good because I keep apples and grapes in my office all the time anyhow. So I've already got that. I said, is there any other snack that uh, she would like to have? And I'll just keep it here in my office. So instead of, you know, giving her M&Ms after school, I'll give her grapes or anything else I could keep here in the office. And she texted back, I've certainly heard of grapes and apples and all that. But then she texted me a snack that I have never heard of in my life, and I suspect that some of you have never heard it as well. She said, and she loves pirate booty popcorn. Honestly, I didn't even know, I didn't even know where in the grocery, I know where to find apples and grapes. I'm like... And I was too embarrassed. I, I mean, I looked everywhere, but I, I, I didn't want to, like, walk up to somebody and say, hey, I've, there's some pirate booty or something around. I'm like, I don't, I, I was too embarrassed. I looked, and I don't even, uh, you know, this is just personal conviction. I don't think booty and grocery store needs to even be in the same, but, and I, I need to stop there. I just need to let that go because it's, it's going to get disastrous if I stay with it. But I found it and it's in my office. But here's the point. I mean, she was like, almost, I could read it, and she's just so sweet, sort of the tone of her test. Hey, do you mind? Would you? And I'm like, are you kidding me? Whatever, whatever they need. I mean, I, I find joy in giving to my grandkids. And God even more so finds tremendous joy in giving to you the wisdom need that you need to make the decisions you need to make. In fact, he finds such joy in it. James said, the brother of Jesus, he wants to give it to your life generously. He wants to just pour it out. And the reason you don't have it is not because God's reluctant to give it to you. You've just been hesitant to ask. And James would say, go ahead and ask. You and I need wisdom, friends, way more than we think we do. Wayne Cadero is giving great insight when he says this. He says, wisdom teaches you the lesson before you make the mistake. On the other hand, consequences demand that you make the mistake first. Only then it will teach you the lesson. I want you to take a look at this next verse. 
And let's all read this verse together. Are you ready? Everybody, you ready to read it with me? Okay, three of you are ready. Are the rest, are you ready to read this verse with me? 100%? Are you? All right, here it is. It's up on the screen. Proverbs 16, 16. Let's all read it together. Here we go. How much better to get wisdom than gold to choose understanding rather than silver. Outside of Jesus, like the wisest person ever lived, Proverbs writer. And he said, you know what? This matter of wisdom is so important that even though in an age then and now when gold and silver and, you know, commodities of various kinds are so valued, wisdom is often devalued. And the wisdom writers say that that's a huge mistake because this wisdom is so valuable. It is so necessary to your life. It is worth more than gold. If you kept reading in Proverbs, another verse says, wisdom is worth much more than precious jewels or anything else. Whatever you desire, gold, silver, jewels, whatever. Wisdom is so much more valuable to your life in those things. But a lot of times we get that all mixed up. It's like sometimes the stuff that matters the least, we value more than the stuff that matters most that we devalue. Does that make sense? I'll give you an example. And uh, I can only tell this I can only tell this because my, my grandmother is totally fine, no problems, none of that. But recently, she called me on the phone, and my grandmother, I've got to tell you, she is a very, very feisty lady. I mean, she's feisty, energetic. In fact, my grandmother is so feisty. I'm not making this up. Many, many, many years ago, when we were small, she lived about three and a half hours from where we live, and she was pulled over on the interstate by the Georgia Highway Patrol because my grandmother was caught driving her car 100 miles an hour. My grandmother. That's unbelievable. My grandmother driving. I don't recommend that. That'll get you in big, big trouble. But that's how feisty she is. So she calls me. She doesn't say, Jeff, hey, this is what she says. As soon as I pick up my cell phone, I hear my grandmother. We call her mamma. I hear her say, hey, have you heard what's happened to me? And I'm like, well, apparently not. Mamma, I'd like to. She said, I was robbed. I said, you were robbed? I said, tell me about it. She said, yeah, and she started into the story. She said, I was sitting, and I know she does this. She said, I was sitting on the front porch talking to my friends, and I had no idea that while I'm sitting on the front porch talking to my friends, as I do every day, inside there's a guy that's robbing me. And she didn't even realize what was going on. The only reason that she found out this guy was in her apartment was that a little cat had crawled up, you know, walked up to where they were, and she just thought, you know, there's got to be something in my little apartment here. I'll go and get this little cat and feed this little stray cat. And she said, and she's telling me the story, she said, I walked into my apartment, and there was a man standing in my kitchen. And I said to him, what are you doing here? And she said, again, I can tell this because she's fine. You know, I fear for his safety, not hers. And uh, he said, she said, when he turned around, I recognized this guy. I said, what? She said, that's right. He's a grandson of my friend who lives at the other end of my building. And what I did not know at the time, I didn't realize what was going on, that he had made a hole in the roof of his grandmother's apartment, called, crawled all the way through the attic. Apparently, there was a firewall separating the apartments, made a hole and crawled down into my apartment. And so she walked in, what are you doing in my apartment? And you know what the guy said? You got to give him a thief, but he's a quick thinker. He said, I am looking for a guy. There's a guy up in your attic, and I'm looking for him. 
I mean, what else do you say? I'm robbing you blind while you're sitting on the... There's a guy up in the attic, and I'm looking for him. And I've just got to tell you, my grandmother's feisty, but let me give you another uh, term that describes my grandmother. Here it is. If you were to open up a dictionary and look at the word gullible in the dictionary, read the definition, and if you look closely enough, there's a picture of my grandmother in the margin. Gullible. There's, a, there's somebody up in your attic, and I'm trying to find them. You know what my poor grandmother does? She goes and finds a flashlight and gives them a flashlight to help to find the guy up in her attic. A couple of days after this, I'm having a conversation with my uncle, and he's a missionary. And I tell him the whole story, and I said, Ron, you're not going to believe this. I said, I said, she went and got him a flashlight to help him to find the guy in the attic, and he's the guy in the attic. And it got real silent. And then my uncle, who's a pretty funny guy, he said, Mamma went and got the thief a flashlight? And I said, yes. And then he said, now, would that make her an accomplice to the crime? <laughs> Never thought of that. So she didn't realize it until later. And this is what she was telling me. I said, well, what did they take? I had some cash. She took it right out of my purse. I didn't know it. And I had, I had a couple of gold rings, and I knew who had given those gold rings to her. And I'm like, really? And uh, I, I'm, not, I'm not discounting the fact, you know, the cash, and that can be replaced. Rings can, and that's unfortunate, and that grieves me. You know, my grandmother doesn't have a whole lot. But, but in, in the ways that we think, we would look at a situation like that and say, oh, man, that's a travesty that she lost these gold rings. And it is that they were actually not lost, stolen. And that's a travesty, lost rings that have value, more, more emotional value to her than monetary value, really. But a lot of times we look at stuff and, and we just raise the value of that and then we look at something that we need most and we don't really give nearly the consideration. The wisest man who ever lived outside of Jesus said, you know what? You want to talk about a commodity that's really valuable? Go after wisdom. It's more valuable than precious gems, silver, gold, You're going to need it now. You're going to need it the rest of your life. Did you know that wisdom from God will actually help you and I to gain clarity about God's purpose and plan for our life? I love this verse. This is in James. It's actually two chapters later. James chapter 3, verse 17. Look at this verse with me. And it really helps us to understand if we're growing in wisdom. Uh, James says here, but the wisdom that comes from above, from heaven, from God, leads us to be pure, friendly, gentle, sensible, kind, helpful, genuine, and sincere. And you want to know, hey, am I growing? Am I becoming a wiser person? Am I becoming a more Christ-like person? Am I more in tune with God's ways? Well, just say, hey, am I becoming more pure, more friendly, more gentle, more sensible, more kind, helpful, sincere, genuine? That's how you know. That's how you know. And again, friends, you just got to you got to understand God. Just as, you know, it's like when the call said, hey, will you pick up, you know, they take their bath often, you know, when we're, and so could you get some shampoo and a little bit of lotion? I'm like, really? I'm their pawpaw. Do they need a tub? Do they need a bathroom? Do they need a starter car? I mean, it's my grandkids. I want to do whatever. And James would say, your God in heaven who is perfect in every way, who loves you more than you can imagine, wants to give you what you need most. He wants to give it to you with wisdom. And if you ask him for it, he will give it to you. But he'll not only give it to you, he will give it to you in generous fashion. For the next few moments, 
here's what I want to do, and I'll do this rapidly, probably spend three or four minutes on each one. There's four of them. I want to give you four practical observations concerning wisdom. Be sure you, you capture these, all right? Let me just move through them. And, and just again, you've got to stay dialed in. Here's the first one. Number one, you ready? Here it is. If you want to grow in wisdom, this is simple, but we don't often do it, hang out with wise people. If you want to grow in wisdom, you've got to learn the value of hanging out with wise people. Again, this is so simple to us, but we often miss it. We don't give consideration to it. But I want to just ask, what happens when you hang out with people that have certain characteristics and traits? Even if you don't know it, subconsciously, often we pick up these characteristics and traits. And I know, I've heard the argument, I've heard people tell me, well, Pastor Jeff, or even a family member, you know, Jeff, you don't understand, I am a leader, and I am influencing them, and I'm having greater influence on them than they are influencing me. I get it, and I'm not saying that we need to cut all these people out of our life. I'm just saying, you are most likely going to become more like the people that you hang around with. So if you're always hanging around negative people, if like the people that you hang around with most are negative people, guess what's going to happen to you? You are going to become increasingly negative. If the people that you're hanging around with all of the time are like big-time gossips, guess what you're going to learn the capacity to do? You're going to learn how to chatter and talk about people too. If If you're always hanging around with people who are critical, then you're going to have an eye for fault finding. You're going to become critical of everything around you. If you're always hanging around people who are complainers, chronic complainers, guess what's going to slowly develop in your life? You're going to become a whiner. You're going to become a grumbler. And, you know, it's just you just sort of glean from the people that you hang around with most. You hang around with people that have a rebellious heart, even if it's pacifistic, even if it's well-disguised. The reality is your heart is going to become a little bit more defiant. And James would just be saying, and other writers in the Bible would just be saying, God wants to give you wisdom, but one of the ways outside of the Bible, and that's the way that God gives us wisdom most, again, 90% of the information we need to make a decision is found in the Bible. But one of the ways the Bible encourages us to get wisdom is hanging around wise people. Read this verse with me, everybody. Let's read it together. Here we go. Proverbs 13, verse 20. Let's read it together. Walk with the wise and become wise. Associate with fools and get in trouble. And the reality is, and again, you got to understand the context and the heart in which I say this. I've got all kind of unbelieving friends, good friends that are far from God, And I have not cut them off. I don't pretend to be sanctimonious or smug or any of those kind of things. But the reality is, for for a a lot of us, one of the ways that could help us get more wisdom is to bring some wise people into our lives. So probably a good decision, and it may be the walkaway thought that you have here today, is I, I need to develop some friendships with some people that have greater levels of wisdom than I do. There's value in that. All right, second observation. Here it is. I'll give it to you quickly. You know that you're getting wiser when you learn to bite your tongue. You just know. You just know. How many of you, how many of you, you can think of an incident more recently when you just really wanted to let somebody know what you were thinking? Let me just say, you just really, uh, you wanted to let it go. I did a while back, and I'm just like, you know, uh, and I, I wrestled with it, and I'm like, you know, this, this is really bothersome to me, and I... I, I know I shouldn't say anything, but I just had that, you know, that emotion where I know I shouldn't, and then, but, you know, nevertheless. 
And, and I'm glad I didn't. I, I rethought. In fact, I told somebody later, I said, you know, I'm going to do something that I don't always do. I'm going to follow my own advice to, uh, that I make to other people, and I'm going to sit on this for two or three days before I say anything to the person or persons that I want to say this to. I'm just going to bite my tongue. And you know what? I'm so glad looking back that I did that because the reality is day two, day three, it really was a non-issue for me. And all I would be feeling right now while I'm talking to you about biting your tongue is I'd be feeling regret because I didn't bite my tongue. And I just said, there's not going to be anything really productive. It's only going to add fuel to the fire. And so I just let, us, let it go. The wisdom writer would just say, again, look at it. It's right here in Proverbs 10, 19. Take a look at this. The value of silence. And some of, us, some of us would benefit from making this next verse our life verse. Proverbs ten nineteen said, When words are many, sin is not absent, but he who holds his tongue is wise. How many of you, how many of you sin? Let me just see your hand. Okay. Those of you who do not have your hand raised, you just sinned. You're not honest. Okay. Or I'll call you Jesus Jr. from here on out. How many of you sin? All right. How many of you are like me? You sin, but you would like to sin less. You know how the wisdom writer says we could sin less? By saying less words. You want to you wanna lower your sin quotient? Say less stuff. Say, I mean, that's right, exactly. When words are many, sin is not absent, but he who holds his tongue is wise. Dietrich Bonhoeffer was a German theologian. He used to speak of the ministry of holding one's tongue. Dallas Willard, some of you have heard that name. Dallas Willard, one of the most incredible gifts from God to the body of Christ, his wisdom, his knowledge. In fact, anytime I read a book by Dallas Willard, I have to go back and read a pair. I'll read the paragraph, then I'll go back and read it because I'm just trying to capture, you know, this guy is so intelligent, so bright, and... Uh, and he just has this mind that's just, you know, uncanny. And somebody tells the story about uh, when Dallas Willard, who, you know, was a speecher, uh, speaker and spoke at conferences, but he was a university professor, brilliant, brilliant, brilliant. And in class one day, he is actually taken to task by one of his students who has about a s- tiny spectrum of uh, knowledge and information that Dallas Willard had and challenges him on something that Dallas Willard had said. The person who is actually writing about this, you've heard me mention this name before, John Orberg. John Orberg's telling the story about Dallas Willard, what happened in his classroom. And John Orberg, I love what he said. He said, he said and John Orberg is a very bright guy himself, but he said, I would be afraid to get in an argument or a debate with Dallas Willard lest he prove that I don't even exist. And he said, so this university student takes him to task challenges him before the whole classroom, and Dallas Willard does not respond, does not react at all, lets the class in, never addresses it, never corrects it. He could have just obliterated intellectually this this kid in his class, but he didn't. He didn't say a word, didn't even address it. After the class is dismissed, so many students are coming, Dr. Willard, you could have just destroyed, you could have annihilated this guy. He was so wrong, and you could have just, why didn't you? Why, why, why? And you know what Dallas Willard said? He said, and I thought this is just so amazing. It's just the kind of guy he is. He says, I did not address it because I am practicing in my life the discipline of not having to have the last word. 
I didn't feel I needed to have that. I'm, I'm practicing the discipline of not having to have the last word. Wisdom. That's wisdom. Knowing when to bite your tongue. All right? Let me move on to this third one, and it's sort of connected to the second one. In fact, it is in a major way, probably, and it is this. Here's the third observation. It is always wise to keep your anger under control. Foolish people let off steam, and they'll do it rather rapidly. Just blow up without giving it much thought. This is how I feel, so why should I try to hide it? And, you know, if I feel this way, just go ahead and just let my anger rip. But the Bible would tell us that's not wise. Look at this next verse. In fact, you did great last time. Let's everybody. Who's going to help me read this time? I'm just, are you ready? Okay, that's better. That was eight instead of four. Are you ready? All right, so let's read this one. Proverbs 29, 11. A fool gives full vent to his anger, but a wise man keeps himself under control. Who gives vent to their anger? Fool. It's just easy. I've got a pastor friend. And this pastor friend told me, uh, this some time ago. He said, I'm driving along. He said, this was so accidental. I, I was at fault. It was my mistake. It was my bad. He said, I, I hate it that I did it. I did it inadvertently, but I'm driving along, and, and I changed lanes, and I cut off this guy. I cut him off. And I knew, so I'm like, you know, for whatever reason, I didn't see him blind spot, whatever the case, and I cut him off. And as soon as I did that, I thought, oh, man, I can't believe I did that. He said, and then I could see the guy in the rearview mirror change lanes, and I see him pulling right up beside me. And he said, the guy pulls right up his cars, even with my car. And, you know, I look over there, and when I look at this guy, I, I notice that he's got one of his fingers on his hand pointing upward. Happened to be his middle finger. And he said, this guy, I mean, he is just hot. He's got this finger, you know, pointed upward, you know. And, and then he said to me, he said, Jeff, you should have seen the look on his face when he realized he had just flipped off his pastor. <laughs> A fool gives full vent. Let's it run. Hey, let me just say this so we're all clear. You ever do that to me? Your picture will be on the screen the very next week. It's going to be up there. For the church and Jesus and everybody to see, and we've got some good graphic artists, and they will, they will change the image, and they will recreate your hand pointing upward. And we'll all see. I'm just telling you. Consider yourself warned. Proverbs 29, 8, mockers stir up a city, but wise men turn away anger. Lastly, if you want to grow in wisdom, seek out sensible advice. And I've just got to ask you before we're done, have you connected with, are you learning from someone wiser than you? And you don't know all things, you don't. There's a personality, and I probably shouldn't, shouldn't say this since I just said the value of biting your tongue, but I've just got to tell you. There's a personal personality trait that drives me. It is the know-it-all. Whatever the subject is, know-it-all. Every subject, every area, know-it-all. And a lot of times people who have that personality bent, they're like, I can't learn from anybody because I know it all. But for some of you, the best thing that you could do for your marriage, if your marriage is in trouble 
is get with somebody that has a good marriage. There's no perfect marriages, by the way, just so you know. But somebody that has a good, solid marriage, they've been married for years, and they know each other, and they love each other. And you just look at them and just say, I'd like for my marriage to be like that. Why don't you seek them out? If you look at somebody and you just say, you know what, their spiritual life, I just so respect their spiritual life, and I'd love to know how they study the Bible, and we're all different, so we're all going to study the Bible maybe in different ways, pray in different, you know, it's not a cookie-cutter approach to devotional life and spiritual life, and, but I so respect their spiritual life, I wonder what I could learn from them, and maybe I'll seek them out. Maybe you just say, hey, you know, I see somebody that you like, in their, like career or business or vocation. You know, they have a lot of wisdom and they could probably help me. Or, I, or I'd like to get in better shape and I'd like to eat more healthy and exercise, get, you know, fit, more physically fit. And I know somebody and that they could probably help me. Or I, I know somebody that's good at managing money. I make money, but, you know, I spend more than I should. I'm not saving a lot. I've accumulated some debt. I'd like to get that down. I've got kids. One day going to go to college. One day I'm going to retire. And, and you know, I'd like to seek out somebody that could help me. And I'm just saying to you, friends, you don't know it all, and I don't know it all. And the Bible would encourage us to seek out good, solid advice. Proverbs 12, 15 says this, the way of a fool seems right to him. And that's the problem with foolish ways. You don't even realize it's foolish. But a wise man listens to what? Advice. One last verse, Proverbs 19, 20. Listen to advice and accept discipline so that you may be wise the rest of your life. There's some wisdom that we gain that helps us for that crossroads decision we need to make in the next 30, 60 days, next six months. But the Bible also talks about wisdom that we can grow and develop and glean that will serve us well for a lifetime. So as we close and we're done, in fact, would you go ahead and stand? Everybody stand with me, but don't leave. I want you to hear this. I've got a final prayer, and I'm going to pray for you. But I want everybody right here, right now to hear this. You've got a lot of decisions you're going to be making with the rest of your life. Where are you going to seek input? Who are you going to listen to? My encouragement would be to make certain you're in the Word every day, gleaning from the Word. 90% said it three times. 90% of the information that we need to make good decisions are found in the Bible. And the only way you are going to have and I'm going to have a better life is by making better decisions. Do not go the way of folly. Seek wisdom. And James said, God wants to give it to you. In fact, ask for it confidently. And He'll not only give it to you, He will give it to you in such abundance and it will bless your life, and it will help you, and it will serve you now and in the future. Would you bow your heads? Would you close your eyes? If you're here today and you just say, I've, I've got to make pretty pretty big decision. Maybe not the biggest decision in my life, but I've got, this is not just minor, this is not just a microscopic decision. This is a pretty big decision I've got to make. And that's 30, 60 days or so, and I need the wisdom of God. Or maybe you just say, I don't even know of a big decision looming, but I do need the wisdom of God in my life. If that's you, would you just lift your hand right here, right now? Just to follow your word, to read your word, to have it to become formed in us, that we would glean from it and grow from it. And that even when we don't even know it, God, your word is so deeply instilled in our mind and our heart, we are making biblical decisions.
because of what has been engrafted into our life through your word. Help us to seek good advice. Help us to keep our anger under control. Help us, God, to pray for wisdom because your word says when we do, you'll give it to us. You tell us not to even waste our time praying for it if we're not believing that we're going to receive it. So for all those that raise their hand and they're asking you for wisdom, help them to ask in faith. Help them not to be double-minded. Help them to ask fully believing that you're going to give them the necessary wisdom to make the decision that they need to make and the wisdom that will guide them into their future. We pray it in Jesus' name. And everybody said, amen. Love you, everybody. Thank you for being here. Be sure you're back next Sunday. We'll pick up.